Hey, Bear Den Nation, Brian Ernst here from Ubersenko with a quick news bulletin. We here at UBK Studios recently finished a short film named Corky, in which a night of human debauchery has left Corky far from his kitchen drawer home. This brave wine opener must cross treacherous terrain and defeat enemies to return to his beloved pizza slicer. If you feel like taking a look at the movie, and giving us a vote as we are currently in the My Road Real film competition, head on over to ubk.fyi slash vote to watch the short and give us a vote. And again, that is ubk.fyi slash vote. And now back to Uber Senko. Hello, listeners. Oh, my God, you're listening to Uber Cinco. Guten Nacht and Buenas Noches, and welcome to the podcast where we deep dive top fives. I'm Nathan Henenfent, your host for today, where our two contestants will reveal and defend their top five movies from their birth year. That's right, we'll be looking for sentimental and inspirational stories of cinema that had a profound impact on our contestants' lives. I'm not concerned with Oscars. I'm not concerned with star power. I want to know how these films hit you straight in the heart. Our combatants have had double their physician's prescribed dosage of Coke Zero and Quiche Lorraine, and we are ready to rock and roll! Our first year. The year the Smiths released their seminal album, The Queen is Dead. The year Sir Alex Ferguson began his 27-year reign as manager of Manchester United. And on December 31st of that year, he turned 45 years old. And on that exact date, a child was born unto us, representing the year from the creation of the world, when in the beginning God created heaven and earth, the wondrous and miraculous year of 1986. It's Mitch Brinkman! Mitch, hey, how you doing? Hey, what's up? I'm a kid from 86. Ah, what's going on here? Uh, hey, what? thanks for having me once again. Hey, Brian, uh, 86 is calling, and uh, they want to be uh, better than your dumb year because the movies in 86 were awesome. Here we go. Um, Capricorn Power, let's go. Me and Sir Alex Ferguson didn't know we had the same birthday. That is actually very cool. Uh, I'm excited about that. Um, I'm ready to roll today. I'm ready to freaking roll. So um, Top Gun, here we come. All right, and the other year we'll be considering, the year of the Strangeways prison riots, the year that Manchester lost its bid for the 1996 Summer Olympics, the year after the Stone Roses released their seminal debut album, representing the ever-disappointing, forgettable, and useless year of 1990, it's Brian Ernst! Brian, how's it going? Ah, yes, the useless year where Nelson Mandela was finally freed. Thanks, Nathan. Wow. Oh, wow. Way to shit all over 1990. You are such an asshole, Nathan. Um. I, I, I only did research in a very specific Manchester-centric uh, Oh, oh, is that the case? Yeah. Oh, is that the case? Oh, okay, I, yeah. I'm sorry I don't have a costume. I'm missing my uh, uh, um, northwest... Seattle grunge flannel and all the stuff I should have. I should have watched it in the 90s. Uh, uh, I'll have it for next time. Well, I, I do see you're wearing a Chaps uh, uh, Ralph Lauren uh, polo there. And, you know, Chaps Chaps was a brand in 1990. So technically someone would have worn that then. So Of course, Mitch would have noticed brand. <laughs> so nice Starbucks basic. coffee. Nice Starbucks coffee Thanks. there. Yeah. Little yellow different. Uh. <laughs> All these, all these visual references on an audio format. Love it. Yes. Uh, That's all what right. we do. 
All right, as a reminder to our dear listeners, please consider dropping us a review wherever you download fine podcasts and be sure to share with your friends and smash that like button. And if you have a topic or Fast Five you're dying for us to cover, head on over to bizbear.biz to submit your suggestion. We may even battle it out on an un- upcoming episode. If this is your first time in the Uber Cinco Den, or if it's been a while since your last visit, let us wake you out of hibernation with a quick rundown of the rules. Each player in the den has spent time with today's topic, arranging their top five answers in order of importance. Those answers have been submitted to the host who will moderate the game, awarding points to the player with the most poignant answer. Starting with their number five choice, we will move up the ranks until we reach each of their top answers. But if both contestants happen to have the same answer on their list, well, we have an Uber Stand-Out. You will hear the official Uber Cinco siren, and both players must reveal their answer and what number they ranked their submission. An Uber stare down is all or nothing, with one player earning three points. After all answers have been read, the host will reveal the final score. Of course, as host, I'm entitled to institute a house rule. For today, I hold in my hand the hermetically sealed envelope <laughs> of mystery. Oh. Which contains the names of two actors. Oh my gosh. For each utterance of either actor's name by either contestant, that contestant will be deducted one point. At the end of the show, I will open the envelope and slash the scores accordingly. (laughs) (laughs) This is bad. I got a lot of repeat actors. (laughs) (laughs) And as a reminder, don't forget to stick with us until the end of the show where I... Nathan G. Henenfent will give you my Fast Five send-off where I'll rattle off the definitive list of the top five worst foods to sneak into a movie theater. Oh, I love it. Oh, my God. All right. Uh, let's get started. Uh, Mitch, you were born in the year of 1986, which, uh, according to my calculations, which I got up really early, was working with the Abacus to figure out it was before 1990. So you get to go first. Let's hear number oh. five. Oh my God, awesome. Well, um, for, for those of you uh, enjoying this on YouTube at home, I'm wearing a shirt with uh, the none other than uh, the man himself from Top Gun, from Risky Business, uh, from the Mission Impossible series, Thomas Mapather Cruz III. Um, and, uh, and he is great, but guess what? He is not on my list at all today. So Nathan, I am dodging the trap you tried to set for me. I'm not going to say his name again for the rest of the podcast. Ha-ha! I know he's in that envelope of mystery. I'm so glad. Oh, I'm going to win this one. This well, is all, this well is, the wonderful this is looking... thing about the envelope of mystery is that it's still a mystery. So, Wait, are you going to rig it? Oh, my God. Oh, whoa. This is, oh this is the best part of being in a pandemic is that we're all in different locations, and I can cheat in any way I want. <laughs> you son of a... Gone. Okay. All I right. also I also disclosed to Brian and Mitch earlier today that I've I've actually been battling with an illness and I may be having to take a couple breaks while we record this. And that's really gonna come in handy now. <laughs> 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 I can I can do all kinds of uh, jiggery pokery. Uh, yeah, and, sure. And yeah. We'll we'll probably have two negative scores today. That's the kind okay, of mood well- I'm in. All right. Well, okay. Well, my real number five is a film I actually discovered during research for this, but I watched it and I love it. I'm going to watch it again. I'll watch it with you guys at some point. It is called Rad. 
Um, <laughs> <laughs> yes, it it tells the story starring Bill Allen. Yeah, do you guys know Bill Allen? I didn't either. Um, <laughs> and it tells the story of a young man named Crew Jones, uh, a, a, like an 18 year old in his small town of Cochrane, USA. We're not really sure where it is, and he has dreams of becoming a professional BMX biker, and. This movie starts with just BMX tricks on Venice Boardwalk, but like you never see California again. It's just for the credits and the opening and the end. Um, this kid, he wants to race. He has a paper route as well. Um, so he, he, that's where he develops his skills. The local cop chases him through lumber yards for him to uh, fine tune his BMX, um, uh, uh, you know, jumping skills or whatever. Um, the biggest star in this film that you would know. Aunt Becky, Lori, a young Lori Laughlin stars in this. And there is a very confusing, two two times too long, uh, bike dance scene at a prom-esque dance to celebrate uh, this BMX event that's about to happen in their town. And there's slow-mo shots of them sitting on handlebars with their arms out uh, as if they're being showered with like flower petals. But it's just like the sparkles of the crowd uh, as they watch them. Uh, it's a very, very strange movie. Um, it's basically just a commercial for 7-Eleven is in it a lot. Uh, you see some Pepsis in there. They mention by name like AT&T and like uh, Taco Bell and then Mongoose Bikes. Clearly, this was like a time in the 80s when bike companies bet big on the BMX uh, trend. Um, and clearly, it didn't hit that hard. Uh, but um, the, the, the teacher <laughs> from Fast Time at uh, Richmond High, Mr. Hand, Ray Walston, he's in this as a as a, a guy who says his first line in the movie is, I wish kids didn't exist. Um, <laughs> after, the, after the main character knocks the coffee and pastries out of his hand with a flying paper. Um, and so he's he's a he's the curmudgeon who gets turned, you know, his heart goes from stone to gold and he actually helps out the main character in the end. But man, it, it was a delicious little ride. Um the, their, uh, Ray Farnham, I don't know who, I don't think he was for, famous before this, did the soundtrack. And uh, my favorite line, the best, the chorus of the, the main song is, um, When there's thunder in your heart And you're going for the greatness When you can taste the glory of the moment That's the, it's incredible. So, uh, rad 1986. That is, I lay that, that, is I, an, I lay that at your feet. It so. is an overpowering monument of 80s cliches that was really yes. pretty yeah. incredible also uh talia shire of the coppola Don yes. dynasty is in this movie yes. i was about to say mitch said the only recognizable face is Lori laughlin and i was like talia shire is in part of the biggest trilogies that end up to go longer than that films of in history yeah oh, but she's in this film for like three minutes and they clearly had her for one day of course and and she doesn't she she's the mom who's like the whole thing is the same day that Hell Track, which is the big race he's got to win at the end, <laughs> Hell Track is on the same day as the as the SAT tests. Oh and, no! And she's like, "You got to take the test for your future and education." And then he's like, "Mom, what if I just take them six months later and I just delay college six months?" And she's like, "Can you do that? Are you sure?" And he's like, "Yeah, yeah." She's like, "Okay." And then you know oh, that kind of fixes what, it. What dramatic conflict this is! I know. But you see, never... see, that's that's the key to a dramatic scene is one character has to want one thing and the other has oh. to want it. Oh, man. Yes. Well. Yes. And she's always on the brink of tears. And at the end, when she sees her son do well in the race, 
just just a small little whisper of a smile comes out. Um, but but like you see her so so little throughout this film. Uh, she's really not a big part of it. So speaking of Brink, this sounds like for the '90s kids who are out there who had Disney Channel. This sounds exactly like the plot to Brink, the rollerblading Disney Channel original movie. Yep, redone probably about ten years later. Yep, <laughs> and there's rollerblades instead of BMX. And there's a there's an evil corporate nemesis out there, you know. But then the ragtag grassroots people pull their pull themselves up by their bootstraps. Um, it's it's a it's it's a also throughout the movie you feel like they just cut scenes out because things just happen. You're like, wait, who is this person? What's going on? Like, what, there's jumps. There, there's a great um, there's a the uh, the assistant to the big baddie. He has this mustache and he just he's just so schmarmy and always has like the book of rules for the BMX race. And every time <laughs> the book of rules. <laughs> yes. wait, 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 I'm I don't know a lot about BMX culture, but I don't think rules was a big part of it. Oh yeah, Hell Track has a big <laughs> book of rules, and every ten minutes a new rule shows up that stops the good guys from being able to participate. Uh, but they keep besting those obstacles. It's great. So that, that uh, sounds a lot like this show. It's <laughs> a, a solid choice. This movie came out exactly four years before I was born, to the day. Wow. Oh my yes. gosh. To the day that Rad was released. Wait a minute. Wait, wait a minute. What's your birthday, Brian? March, March 28th. 28th. Oh, Wikipedia is telling me this was released on March 21st. Not IMDb. Okay. Oh, well, man. I was just I was just checking because uh that was going to fuck up my script and embarrass me cuz I had I was going to yeah, anyways. Let's continue. <laughs> but I <laughs> the, the point is I I know your birthday and I'm really proud of myself. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Oh, so man, Wikipedia yeah. is wrong? Yeah, is imagine weird. imagine that. Um okay, well this is we're off to a good start because I am immediately going to watch this movie as soon as we're done. Uh, Brian, let's let's hear your number five. What was going on in 1990? The fifth most important to you. Fifth most important for me is a film that would have been on TV several years after this release date uh, during my childhood. It would have been cut to hell because you could not have said the words that were in this movie or shown a lot of things that were in this movie on uh, network television, but this was John McClane in Die Hard 2, Die Harder. So Bruce Willis coming up. Um, I have this on there because I think this is one of the first action movies I loved. Because if it came out in the 90s, this would have been on TV when I was like three, four, five and up. So and when I finally saw it a little bit later, I remember being probably in middle school or something like that and thinking that like the twist of them using blanks instead of real bullets to disguise who the bad guys were. I was like, oh, my God, how could anybody come up with a twist that good? And the, good <laughs> the good soldiers are the bad guys. Oh, my God. And then when John McClane is stuck in a plane that's on the ground and they start throwing grenades through the window and he has to escape and he escapes <laughs> by going with the ejector seat on the ground and it fires him out. <laughs> like There's so much crazy, cool action in this movie that's horrible, but it is so such a thrill to watch. So and my then, question. Oh, no, go, go ahead. ahead. Go ahead. My question is, did you see this movie before you saw the original Die Hard? I probably. Yes. Definitely saw this movie before I saw Die Hard. Okay. And does does this one have Reginald Vell Johnson? Briefly. It does. Not okay. enough. Okay. Because as Nowhere you both know, 
there is there is no such thing as too much Reginald Vell Johnson. It just Correct. can't That's be true. done. Yep. And I am by no means saying Die Hard 2 is better than Die Hard because it isn't. But it is the one that had the effect on me because I probably saw it more before I saw the first one. And it's got arguably maybe a better use of yippee Kaye motherfucker than the first one because when he says it this time he throws a lighter onto a line of jet fuel that goes down a runway and blows up a giant <laughs> cargo plane. How <laughs> rad is that? that oh, <laughs> good so, use of that I, word. I have to say that this reminds me of one of my favorite scenes in the whole uh, 74 year run of the American office when Michael Scott is working at a telemarketing firm as moonlighting there yeah. and and he endears himself to the younger people working because he has this great analysis of Die Hard versus you know the first yeah. movie versus the later movies and in the first movie John McClane's a regular guy who's in extraordinary circumstances and then in this movie he starts the trend to where he's just superhuman like none of this is even rooted in reality it's Correct. it's I mean I don't know how you feel about the rest of the, the franchise, but to me, the first Die Hard movie is just perfect. As oh, an action 100%. movie, it's perfect. And it's been a while since I've seen the second one. But my question to you right now in this moment, Brian, is to make the case of why all this ridiculousness is a pro and not a con. Go. Oh, because it's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> all right. That's good enough. Sure. Wow. Uh, it, it's just... I, the ridiculous ridiculousness of it is just enough because not only do you have that, you got a guy get stabbed in the eye with an icicle. That's how he kills one of the bad guys. Mm. Um, no trace. Love yeah. it. Yeah. Guy gets sucked into a jet engine, yet the plane is still able to fly. And <laughs> yet a couple of birds take Sully down into the Hudson. Yeah. I'll call, <laughs> call BS on that one. <laughs> There's also a hilarious thing that I completely messed up when I was a kid. For the entire time I saw this when I was a kid, I thought this movie took place in Texas because they kept saying they were at Dulles Airport, and I thought they were saying Dallas wrong. So <laughs> the fact I was trying to figure out why it was snowing in Texas, <laughs> and uh, I, I caught up with that one and got a little older. But yeah. uh, that, and it has the quintessential scene at the end of the movie that's the same as the end of Die Hard, where John makes out with his wife or ex-wife, Holly, and just gets blood all over her as they are making out. And it's just the most disgusting. Like, we can do this later. Let's let's hug it out and we'll do this makeout session later. But she just gets smeared with blood, sweat, and oil. <laughs> and it's just like, oh my God, what's happening here? Oh Lord. But, yeah, it's a little much. I think this this where Die Hard was the trend for every action trope that came after it, Die Hard 2 is responsible for like your speeds of the world and and, and that, that sort of action trend. So yes, it's bad. <laughs> I think Die Hard with a Vengeance brings us back a little bit. Um, it's still a little out there, but uh, I think that brings us back to reality, especially if we get Sam Jackson into the trilogy. But uh, I don't know. This is... My, uh -oh. my my peak Die Hard was I don't remember which one it you know uh, Die Hard three uh, harder dies or something uh, that's with, with a with, vengeance with a vengeance oh that's what, okay so that's the one with Justin Long right no that's four okay four then with with Justin Long uh, live, when they live free or die hard 
There we go. Uh, and when, <laughs> again, <laughs> yeah, it's okay. But no, when, when he's driving the police car and he hits the ramp and they jump out of the police car and the car hits a helicopter in midair, that was, I mean, that's like, that leads right into Fast Five, you know, yep. Furious Sixer and, and, and Fast Seven, uh, <laughs> uh, more, more Fury or whatever. Uh, like that's, you know, it's, it's a beautiful moment. Beautiful moment. I so. remember being so excited for Live Free or Die Hard too, because that was 07. And I was like, Oh, it's coming back because now I'm 17 and I'm like, holy, uh, the, the movie I used to watch when I was a kid, it's coming back. And it was awful. You got what? what Oliphant is the bad guy. You got yeah. Justin Long teaming up with Kevin Smith. And you're like, what is happening in Die Hard now? <laughs> but whatever. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's I, I, I cannot talk about the Die Hard franchise any longer. So I'm going to call this round to an end. <laughs> <laughs> and Oh, scoring this is tough, though, because. I mean, obviously, this had a real deep personal connection with Brian and probably led you on the film to become or the the pathway to your interest in film and your career. Uh, But also, Mitch's movie has BMX. (laughs) I I forgot to mention the director of this film was Hal Needham, who directed Smoking the Bandit, Cannonball Run, Cannonball Run 2, Stroke Race, all tons of Burt Reynolds classics. So there's a ton of really great uh, BMX action that's real. A lot of, lot of real great stunt, real. stunt riders. <laughs> real. Oh, God. I, Hell I, I'm, track. I, Hell I'm, track. I'm, okay. I'm lost. You, you both, there's, there's some pros. There's some cons here. You're both getting two points, and we're going to move on to number four. And uh, we're, we're going to keep it going the same order. It goes in birth order. Sorry, Brian, but uh, the old men are, are taking a stand here. So, Mitch, I want your number four Fair. right now. Yes, my number four uh, is quite possibly the, the the greatest sports film ever made. Hoosiers, uh, classic. Um, Gene Hackman, Dennis Hopper. Uh, I don't remember who who played the, the kids, but Jimmy Chitwood, you know, is the main guy in this on this team. And this is a great story because it it feels both small and enormous all at once. Um, and uh, like they focus on the personal relationships in the film, and then they film in the classic uh, Butler Fieldhouse, the the, uh, the 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 titular scene, um, right there with blue chips, if not better than blue chips, with the, the best basketball footage in a movie. Um, Hoosiers is about it's about perseverance, it's about forgiveness, it's about empathy, it's about hard work, it's about becoming the best version of yourself. It's about um, passing four times before you take a shot. It, it, exactly the 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 passing time, and so I mean, this is about uh, it, it's not me, it's us. You know, it's it's about uh, parts coming together to form a greater whole. Uh, except, is, except the great line, the greatest line in cinematic history, when they want to use Jimmy Chitwood as a decoy, and he says, "I'll make it," oh. and he does. Mm-hmm. Oh, I just yeah. I just got chills thinking about it. Yeah, and it, and and it's about believing in yourself too, right there. Confidence brimming over that 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 swagger. Of course, in, in Indiana, you know, you wouldn't call it swagger. You know, uh, it, maybe be like a, a Christian divine, strength divine, or something. Divine gumption. But let's, yeah. I mean, for anybody who hasn't seen Hoosiers, which I'm sure is not that many people, but it's it's a small, tiny little Indiana town, and yep. Gene Hackman, a washed up coach shows up there and he mm-hmm. imparts a new philosophy and he's you know and he takes this small town with the help of Dennis Hopper who's a terrible alcoholic whose son's on the team and mm-hmm. he he he's like a basketball savant 
and he brings a lot to the table, but he can't control himself, so he's unreliable. But it's uh, it really it's 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 an amazing mix of uh, the you know genuine uh, like sort of small town success story, but also just like dripping in sugar saccharin. Yeah. Uh, but it just <laughs> it it just works. Uh, it does. It's really I I think you, the wonderful thing about sports movies. It's very easy to know if they're good or not, and that's if somebody who doesn't like sports will also like the movie. You don't have to like basketball to like Hoosiers. No. Hoosiers is just a great story with great characters, great everything. So, um, basically, Brian, you're in a lot of trouble this round. But um, <laughs> well, Nathan, you just described my entire approach to sports. If there's a movie about it that's good, all right, that's all I need. So yeah, um, and. This obviously a huge basketball fan as a kid. Uh, so this honestly right there with um, uh, Hoop Dreams, which is, you know, a heartbreaking basketball documentary about uh, our fair city, Chicago. Um, and then Blue Chips, too. I watched a lot as a kid. Um, and I think that's about it for for. And then, you know, not until Remember the Titans and uh, Friday Night Lights. So we get some other amazing sports films, in my opinion. Um, uh, you're forgetting so. uh, Slapshot with a drunk Paul Newman oh, yeah. um, Sorry. <laughs> making misogynist comments for two hours and the heroes being three brothers who just beat the shit out of everybody they see. So Yes, yeah. oh, and, and you wouldn't believe how many goddamn costumes of the Hanson brothers you have to suffer through in Minnesota at Halloween time. Oh, so I'm sure. It's just everywhere, yeah. It's so. everywhere. Yeah. Well, that, I, I mean... Uh, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna pause and, and watch Hoosiers and then we'll start again. Okay. Sounds good. And okay, we're back. Oh well I'm <laughs> I'm still wiping the tears from my face uh, oh. after the state championship was won. Brian, let's hear your number four. Ooh, spoiler alert. All right. Um number four, I have here a childhood classic for me that still holds up to this day. That is 1990s Home Alone. Oh. Starring a cute young Macaulay Culkin and you got some Catherine O'Hara in there who I've mentioned several times on my list here but this movie's got Chicago roots with the house being in Winnetka you got John Hughes uh you're shooting the whole thing in a soundstage built in a high school on the north side and you also got the most violent kids movie ever made (laughs) it is just brutal the things that happen to Pesci and Stern in this movie are unconscionable they are deadly (laughs) and the fact that we revere kevin McAllister as opposed to not thinking he's just like a sadist (laughs) it's kind of (laughs) impressive um also has one of my favorite clearly only had him one day on set uh visits from john candy as gus polinski the polka king of the midwest where he delivers one of my favorite uh-huh. lines that is uh, repeated throughout my household is, uh, we're big in Sheboygan. Um, so. <laughs> <laughs> and I like how he was just like, oh, with Poker King of the Midwest, you ever heard our song? Poker, poker, poker. That's all he said. <laughs> is, is there is there a scene in, in a home? My favorite scene, I, I know the scene is in it, but I need some clarification on the detail, is when they play Rocking Around the Christmas Tree and it looks like people are dancing. And he has he has a is it a Michael Jordan cutout? There is a Michael Jordan cutout. It's moving on a, tra- on a train set. 
Correct. And that so the, exactly the silhouette of it makes it look like people are dancing, and this yes. is his ruse to make it look like people are still in the house. This is before we find out he's a sadist. <laughs> he's only and, just trying to distract and, people. Yeah, we, we know he's a genius, but not necessarily an evil genius. Yeah. I mean, and also, can we talk about this house? Like, what are his parents doing for a living? That house in Winnetka is probably, what, $12 million in 2020 money? It is expensive. I think it just went on the market recently, actually. So uh, it's... Yeah, it's a crazy house, and I don't know. It's They have to be some sort of... Maybe they're money launderers for a cartel or something. That's the only thing that makes sense to have that much money and be able to just go to France on a whim. But well, uh, I, I'm looking through this list, and there's one that may be an exception, but I, I think that all of us have probably watched this movie more than anyone else on on the list because this is this is an annual staple this is one you watch every christmas this is the child at heart like i mean we're in our 30s we want mitch is shaking his head mitch apparently disagrees i i i I disagree if i'm gonna watch a a, a christmas home alone movie it's gonna be home alone 2 for whatever reason i just i think that came out at a time we saw that more for you know maybe randomly stuff we saw that in theaters and home alone we didn't because it's it it is the same movie just in new york I mean, yeah. same movie. I like it just as much. I probably watched it as much as uh, when I was a kid. I watched both of these the yeah. same amount. You can um, you but, can switch one in and out without yeah. even halfway through. You can just switch it in and out. <laughs> You're not going to notice much. I, I, I'll say halfway through, you, you could put in Kieran, right? And you, no one would notice. Like you, like yeah. this, this kid's hair is a little more brown than before, wasn't it? And then um, I mean, by the by the time Catherine O'Hara is screaming, Kevin, like you've already had enough eggnog to where you're you're not gonna. (laughs) Also, it's not only a a perennial Christmas movie; it's a perennial soundtrack. I put on just the soundtrack around Christmas time because it's so poignant, and I don't think it is as popular without that part of it. I don't think the movie is the same until it gets that soundtrack. Yeah, because it's so whimsical and childlike that it like tames the violence. (laughs) Yeah, something that's very much needed. And I mean, I don't know how they landed John Williams for this kids movie, but uh, it's it's money, 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 money helps. But (laughs) uh, I'm glad they got him. And it's uh, one of my most influential films on this list. Well, that's I, 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 I. I was going to say, on cable, I just caught Home Alone 2, a chunk. And I remember, I love Tim Curry. That's what it is. The mm-hmm. the hotel manager in number two. Also, Rob Schneider is his goofy, wacky, trying to be evil assistant. And my favorite shot is when he says he wants to go out and they get him a white limo. And he walks out and he sees the limo and he goes, oh, wow. And then the camera pans over and Rob Schneider opens a giant pizza box. It's a hot cheese pizza. And he's yeah, just like, me. are you kidding me? Gets in and pours himself a Coke. And that part, yeah, that's, I made that's my heart the, swell. Yeah. That's always I'm been the, the problem I have is he always wants a cheese pizza. There's so many pizzas available. Oh, the guy's yeah. got the world at his fingertips. He can have any. Oh, I'll have a cheese pizza. Well, yeah. I, I, anyways, I don't I shouldn't be negative because this was a great round and it, Basketball is close to my heart. Hoosiers is close to my heart. Home Alone is a perennial Christmas classic. It has John Candy. There's no way, no way I was ever giving either of you less than three points. Three points all around. Everybody feast on the points. Let's move on to number three. Mitch, go ahead. Yeah, um, I, I'm, I'm going to share a quick uh, personal anecdote about Home Alone. The You know, the old the old man who's, who's very terrified of turns yes. out to be nice. 
that 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 figure that image an old guy in that giant coat that mixed with like rotting teeth and the long hair of the crypt keeper was the image of the man that literally haunted my nightmares as a child from like four until 10. So Oof. maybe yeah. that's why I didn't love home alone that much. I was thinking about it. Like maybe that's why I didn't want to watch them. So, um, yeah. So, so that actually had, that had a big effect on me. Cause that, that definitely would have been on my list. Um, if I would have born, would have been born in 1990, but moving right along, my number three is, uh, an instant classic. Um, would never get made the way it was made in the 80s now um but it is just a beautiful strange offering and that is labyrinth um jennifer Connolly as she, she may have been 16 i don't know it's just it, maybe her first film uh a, a fresh-faced um star in the making though and then of course david bowie mesmerizing us all as the weird troll king um the the eponymous scene when he's dancing around that room full of trolls with his crystal ball and his hair and his giant cod piece and you're like do all the trolls want to fuck him or like what's <laughs> what, what's about to happen here um the farting bog the uh the little is it the monkey that rides the the sheep dog is like all these incredible images that come to mind um uh it's it's uh, i didn't check to make sure but i'm assuming it was jim henson's work on this film too right i believe so yes the puppetry yeah um, he directed just, the film oh he directed the film. okay there we go yeah it's just like so much creativity so much weird creativity everything just like turned to 11 just so much odd odd stuff going on and uh still uh, for me like obviously there are those some of those uh, uncomfortable creepy scenes with david bowie were in the 80s they let that stuff fly but just all all the oddness still still works for me today um and uh that beginning with labyrinth is when my parents started like re uh, reintroducing or introducing uh, bowie to us um so that kind of you know um started some some musical taste for me as well so I think um, I think the thing about Labyrinth I like is uh, it's a lot like the year 2020, but more in a positive way. So if you went back to ourselves 10 years ago or whatever, and you're like, oh, here's everything that happened in 2020. And I'm not going to go over it because we're still living through this shit. But <laughs> like none of us would be, we're like, no, that's just that's just not even real. Whatever. It's yeah. not real. If none of us if, if it was today and somebody said, oh, wait, there was this movie in 1986 with Jim Henson and the Muppet and David Bowie and, the, and just the craziness, we'd be like, no, no, that just that didn't happen. It just, <laughs> no. Nah, yeah, no, nah, you're making yeah. that shit up. Yeah. Like, yeah. it's literally such a strange, crazy experience that you it, you it's like you couldn't even who could make that up. But somebody actually made it up. It's yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think that that's, I think, uh, honestly, watching movies like that, I think, helped my brother and I, you know, when we were playing on ourselves, like making make-believe, you know, trying to create our own little worlds out in the backyard. Like that kind of just completely out of the box. Uh, no one, you know, there's no studio notes checking this this creative process. It's just pure strangeness coming out uh i just a pure absolute delight to me so um i, I haven't watched this film it's probably been three years since i saw it last but um i, I need to see it again and also i think it could kind of work as a halloween movie why not it's it's weird enough uh oh, for good, sure. good time for it so absolutely uh well i i also uh love labyrinth so brian once again the year 1986 is looking pretty strong. That old shitty year in 1990, what you got for us? 
Uh, this 1990, I will say classic because um, it's a pretty popular film in the Scorsese canon. I'm going with Goodfellas. Um, why I have this on my list is I probably didn't watch this until I was a little bit older. But when I did see this movie, it was the first time I felt like a grown up watching a movie. This was not a kid's movie anymore. I felt adult watching it. And it's probably the first time. One, you get Ray Liotta's fantastic voiceover for the entire movie. It's his best thing he's ever done, period. And I can say that because I've seen him in this. And I've also seen him in Adam Sandler's new film, Who Be Halloween. And he's better in Goodfellas. Um, <laughs> who saw that coming? Yeah. Um, and I think this is also harking back to an interest in movies. I think this is the first time I started to not only understand, but recognize visual technique. You had a lot of steady cam work in this movie, a lot of cool ways of introducing characters. Uh, one of my favorites is when they're going through and it's a long take with a steady cam and they're introducing all the wise guys. And one of them is Jimmy two times and he just gets up. I want to get the papers, get the papers. And he walks out of frame. Um, that one sticks with me a lot. You got the crazy dolly counter zoom in the diner when things are starting to go awry, when the two profile characters are sitting and talking. And then you've got, again, for the second time on my list, Joe Pesci. What a great, I mean, this is better than Casino for me. I mean, Casino and Goodfellas are kind of like Home Alone and Home Alone 2. There are parts where are kind of interchangeable. Yeah, you can, <laughs> you can fall asleep watching one and wake up watching the other and you won't and know the difference. Skip a beat. But <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah, so you get Pesci and Leota and the the Do I Amuse You and my clown speech, which is great. I think it's before that you get when Pesci is aggravated at a character named Spider and he just shoots him to death. And all the wide guys, wise guys are like, well, who's going to clean this up? You got to clean him up. You shot him. You got to clean him up. <laughs> and it's like, all right, he's all flustered because of that. <laughs> but then at the end of the film is... Similar, I believe, in the episode a couple of weeks back when we were talking about Noah Wiley getting stabbed in ER. And it, how it scarred both of us for life. And we have, I have a, I, I still yes. have a lifelong phobia of knives because of it. Very similar is when Tommy walks into the house and then just someone shoots him in the back of the head and he falls under that rug. This is Pesci's character and he gets rolled up and taken out. Very same effect. If someone's sneaking up behind you and stabbing you in the kidneys, I also had a fear of walking into a room and someone just shooting me in the back of the head. <laughs> Because of this movie. Also, so. that's, I mean, that's that's the, the exact same scene that uh, they had in The Irishman when, spoiler alert, Al Pacino dies. Yes. I mean, yes. It's, it's, which, it's, it's a, yeah, it's the same thing. Oh, God. And all, uh, yeah, because Martin Scorsese's made the same movie 75 times and people <laughs> fillet him to no end. Uh, also, let's just, let's just remember okay all the, it. everybody, <laughs> let's, let's talk about all the great, uh, women characters in this movie there's just so oh many god. amazing great and in all of Scorsese oh my god just so many great women characters he uses these he gets these women to act in his movies and he just gives them so much meat to chew on just so much depth to I'm obviously joking. It's fucking <laughs> nonsense. He like it's white dudes. It's white dudes who want to shoot each other and blah, blah, blah. and the voiceover. Oh my god! I don't want to be in Ray Liotta's head for ten. It's like it's a movie. I it's a visual do. art. It's a visual art. I don't want to hear somebody talking Blast for me. two hours Blast or three hours. How long is Goodfellas? Seven hours, I think. Goodfellas. <laughs> it's. 
I don't want to hear Ray Liotta's voice for seven hours. I want to watch a movie. I don't want to listen to a 1930s radio drama. It's only two hours and 26 minutes. It's half as long as The Irishman. It's not that bad. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. My, my, my favorite part of this movie is at the end when he's high as balls on cocaine and he's, he's making his trips and the sauce is getting made at home. And then he comes in and just when he yells his wife's name, Karen, Karen, just high as hell on cocaine. <laughs> yeah, he's pretty nuts. In that. <laughs> I yell that to, I yell that to Danny all the time. Just, I, I call her Karen in the house, but um, yeah. And, uh, but she, that's her big scene. She, you know, she dumps the cocaine in the toilet. So, that's true. you know, that's, that's lots true. of chew on there. Um, I do like Lorraine Bracco in this movie. She's pretty, she's pretty awesome. I mean, for the, the very little screen yeah, time for, she gets. I mean, for 13 she seconds, she just destroys it. Yeah, so She does great. deliver one of my favorite lines, though, too. So in the steady cam scene that brings him through the back of the restaurant to the table, and he lies to her and says he's in construction, and she picks up his hand and rubs it and says, I don't feel like you're in construction. And it was like, that was one of the lines, too. Although blatant now, and obviously, once you look back, you're like, oh, of course that is. But like as a kid, when I saw this movie, I'm like, that's clever. That's how you tell that he's not really in construction. But so that's, again, just me being young and a little uh, not in tune with other better oh, movies that were to come. Oh, boy. Okay. Well, here we go. Okay, I mean, I've lost this round. I didn't, Whatever, I didn't want to do this, but uh, I mean... Well, Mitch, I mean, how can I not give Labyrinth three points? I mean, nobody can argue with Jim Henson and David Bowie, two of the great creative geniuses of the 20th century. Also, also the screenplay penned by Terry Jones. Get the... Yeah. Three of the great creative geniuses of the 20th century. I, you know, I wish I could give you three points and it turns out I can, but I'm not going to. But I'm (laughs) going to give you three points. one, One for Terry Jones, one for David Bowie and one for Jim Henson. What would our world be like without those three guys? It would be a much darker place. Mitch, you're getting three points for Labyrinth. And Brian, look, I I sympathize with you because I know this, this movie has influenced you and a lot of people. But it's the most overrated movie in the history of not just movies, but things being overrated. Mm-mm. And I'm going to give I I'm not going to go zero. Come on. <laughs> I, I I'm gonna go negative one. <laughs> no, oh, no, wow. I'm, gonna, I'm gonna give I'm gonna give you the one point. I'm gonna give you the customary one point for customary. Goodfellas. Oh yeah. my god! Only only because I'm in such a good mood after talking about Terry Jones, David Bowie, and Jim Henson. Mitch, let's get on to number two. Mm-hmm. Let's hear it. Sure. What is it? Second most important film for your birth year. Late on. Yeah. Me. Uh, this this will be of no surprise to anyone. Uh, and my, my number two is Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Um, we've talked about it in previous podcasts, you know, about the, the sunglasses and everything. Um, it's, again, not the greatest movie in the world. There's there's tons of plot holes. How, how do they do it in the time they have? But that's why I love this movie is that it shows the unbridled confidence and swagger. Again, I'm using the word swagger. I apologize to, to the listeners. But the swagger of youth. Um that, that idea that as a 17-year-old, you know, the world is your oyster, you know. Um, that is if you're, you know, a, a well-to-do white guy from the suburbs. Uh, but, um, you know, you can call in and and, and get yourself off of school uh, with your friend doing an impression. Um, that inspired me as in high school. I, I used to cut 
cut school by faking notes from my parents. And I, I, I called in for someone else once as the, as their parent. Um, that's when my when my please, uh, please elaborate on that conversation. I want to hear it. Oh, sure. Yeah. Um, so my my friend Morgan, uh, we I know Morgan. To, I've met Morgan. Yeah, yeah. We wanted to cut school. And I believe I don't know if we like we just went to the mall or like got drunk in the midday or something. But it was I remember it was in the spring and uh, I had grown up with Morgan. So knew uh, knew both of his uh, his dad and his stepdad and his mom. And uh, I think I did an impression of his dad, Bruce, and called in to Miss Rose Ducats at the St. Thomas Academy office and. Um, you know, I, that, that's probably where my, where my performing day started, honestly, was doing an impression of friends, dads. And, uh, and, you know, and then I, I also got very good at my mom's signature, uh, and would write myself notes. So, um, and this movie, uh, that's this pretty movie good. Is, this can movie I, can I tell my, can I tell my, uh, skipping school story? I mean, we're talking about Ferris Bueller. I, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, Serve it up. so my, my senior year, I had enough credits to where I, didn't have to take that many classes. I could, I had a couple hours free and we had this, you could get class credit for uh, assisting a teacher in some way. And so I finagled it where I had a great relationship with two teachers at the elementary and junior high school, which was all one building was very small town. and went to a very small high school. Mm -hmm. And so I did uh, second and fourth grade PE with my old basketball coach and great guy, Joe Thompson. And then I also helped with the second graders uh, in the classroom with Mrs. Uh, Ellen B. Craft, who was a really wonderful lady who actually had she had a son named Nathan who was born in the same hospital as me on the same day. Uh, So literally she was a lifelong friend to me. Uh, but so yeah, I, I would go over there and I would help them, but they also liked me so much that if I just didn't show up, they never questioned it. So <laughs> I had between 1130 and 230, uh, I could go to lunch and then just go over there or I could go home <laughs> and take a nap, <laughs> which I, which I did many times. And hopefully my parents don't listen to this episode because even all these years later, I think they would be extraordinarily disappointed to hear that I took advantage of this the way I did. <laughs> but, uh, I did this a lot and our, our principal, uh, who, whose principles could be questioned, uh, would, oh, uh, oh. would sometimes, would sometimes see me leaving and he would, he would be like, are you going to the Boba? And I would be like, look, man. We don't have to have this conversation. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. So skipping school is uh, what an extraordinarily wonderful thing to do. Any of you kids out there listening, if you haven't, if you haven't tried it, please do. It's it's one of the great rushes in life. Skipping. Yeah. Now, Nathan, skipping school in a small town where you grew up. And, you know, you you played on the basketball team. So everyone knew who you were. So I feel like skipping school is different because wherever you go, everyone knows you. Right. And so well, there was nowhere to go. So I only, <laughs> I only went home. It was yeah. I would just like go take a nap. You know, yeah. I, it wasn't like I could. There was nothing to do. So so like you, you wouldn't be like, you know, what? I'm going to I'm going to abscond to Iowa for the afternoon. And like, you know, uh, oh, as tempting as it was, I never did. Yeah. Okay. No trips um, to the port of Devon. <laughs> no. <laughs> but, or, or it was like if somebody saw me, I just, they were like, where what are you doing? I, I would just say I was going to one place or the other. It was. Yeah. It was incredibly easy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, it, it, yeah, the, literally it, it took it was it was one half of one mile from one school building to the other. That's it. And they were completely across town. So 
Yeah. Um, yeah, it was it was pretty smooth. Okay, that's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> my senior um, year was my senior year was so easy because of this. It was really easy, and I still have dreams about it. Like you know the classic dream of like you're still back in school and you yeah. have a and like I I still like will have the dream that like I'm getting caught or I don't have my homework in that time period, and then I wake up and I'm like, oh, like yeah, I I ended up getting degrees afterwards and it was all literally meaningless and it only makes me wish I'd skip school more. (laughs) (laughs) I, uh, um, you know, the, the, the Ferris Bueller thing too, um, the, the amount of, you know, they they go get a fancy lunch, you know, like they, they, they leave their city, they take a car they shouldn't take. Um, I, uh, one of my favorite things ever, like on Friday, sometimes, you know, like they do in baseball, they have a one o'clock game, we would uh, skip school and go to a baseball game just like in Ferris. So, um, you know, life imitating art a little bit. Um, and never went to a, to a, to a art museum though. Um, wasn't too into that at that point. Um, I did skip school to go and kiss girls. Hello. What, what, what? Yes. Um, I had a, I had a, a girlfriend that went to a public school. So she had, you know, public schools are famously more, I think, uh, open and lax, uh, uh, you know, um, compared to, you know, Nathan's story here. Um, and, uh, so that was, I thought I was pretty cool at that time. So, um, <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to think of, of, of my other, like, you know, things we've said in the past. I've, I feel like we talked a lot about Ferris Bueller in the uh, sunglasses episode. Um, but also, um, I want to mention, uh, there's an actor in Ferris Bueller that's also in my number one film. So, um, that we will, we will figure out in the next one. Oh, but yeah, see if you yeah. can figure out that uh, mystery there, listener, uh, before it happens. So. I, I see that. I see that coming. Uh, yeah. Okay. Well, Brian, your move, my friend. Number two. Uh, my move. So this is the third in a sci-fi trilogy. That means a lot to me. This is uh, my number two is Back to the Future 3. So the conclusion of the of the uh, Marty McFly story. So I think the reasons why it's on my list, I think this is maybe the start of my love for the wild, wild west when I was uh, getting into that. Um, Wait, 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 the the Will Smith vehicle, wild, wild west. No, that comes later. Oh, okay, okay. (laughs) No, just for the wild west. Oh, okay, Um, okay. And then. uh, This movie I didn't see for a long time because everyone would tell me it's the worst in the trilogy. Big misconception. Big misconception. So I put this movie off for a long time. And then when I finally watched it, I was like, this is better than two. (laughs) I like this one. This is better than the future one. And this is kind of where I got my thing. Like, just you don't have to rely on other people's opinions. Like trust your instincts, go watch it and make your own form, your own opinion. And when I watch this one, I'm like the train sequence at the end of this movie, because they blow the gas can on the DeLorean, they need to put the DeLorean on the tracks and find a way in 1885 to get the car up to 88 miles an hour. And there's this, this awesome sequence on on the train where it's like they're it's going fast people are getting on and off and burning the coal and these special little logs that doc has made and it's explosion there's tension there's stakes and just as a kid i remember when i finally watched this movie i was like 
this is pretty awesome. <laughs> I like this a lot. This is so cool. And it ties a lot of things back because now we're three movies in. You can have callbacks to the first movie and obviously the second movie. But it's like, oh, this is I dig this. Plus, I think this also adds to what I was talking about with Home Alone, my obsession with movie scores, um, because Back to the Future score is probably one of my favorite. And to this day, the Back to the Future theme is my ringtone on my phone. And the signal that something is changing or happening in Back to the Future is my text message tone. You so, use you use a ringtone? Yes. You monster. I just I'm bad. sorry. I don't leave my phone on vibrate like some sort of too cool. Uh, sometimes I need to hear if I'm getting a damn phone call. Jeez. Especially uh, I work from home now. Who cares? <laughs> I'm like. That's been the best part is I can just have things be loud and buzzing all the time. Well, You're not disrupting I'm, anybody. I'm teasing you about the, <laughs> One of the, about the, the biggest ringtone. pleasures of working yeah. from home. <laughs> Everything being loud. Oh, yeah. that's, mm. I, I have to say, though, I, I agree with a lot of this. I, I remember when I watched this movie. Uh, I think I actually may have seen it before I saw the second one. You know, things are back in 1996. Things were on TBS in a scattershot way. Yes. And so yes. I, I watched it and I remember thinking. It was awesome. It was just, mm -hmm. it was adventurous. It was fun. It was swashbuckling, kind of. It was yeah, yeah. Uh, the most adventury of all the three, I think. Yeah, I I had a great time. I was ten years old. I was, it was, I was the target audience. I was a kid. I was. I think maybe that's where it suffers is that people who watched the first one and really liked it watched it when they were of a certain age, and then they grew up, and then they saw the third one, and they were like it didn't hit them in the same way. And it's like, well, you're not nine years old anymore. You're not whatever age. It's like you change, but the movie was targeting the same people. Um, it was supposed to capture that same spirit. I, yeah. And also let's not forget the wonderful performance of one of the finest thespians known to man, uh, who also plays a mean bass guitar flea from the red hot chili peppers is in this movie. He is. He is. I watched some of this, uh, film this morning to kind of get it back in the, uh, Good graces in my brain between Flea and I love uh, Mary Steenburgen in this movie as well. Um, we used to make fun of uh, a friend of mine, Hunter. We'd always make fun of the way she yells for Doc Brown in this movie. It's always, am it, am it. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, like, it's always stuck in the back of my brain. She's on the train, am it. Uh, so that part's uh, great. She's, uh, she's good in this movie. The references to Jules Verne. Um, the giant machine Doc has in his uh, barn where he's uh, pretending to be a blacksmith. He has this giant machine that's only there to make one single ice cube for his iced tea to get some lap of luxury in 1885. Um, Marty McFly going as Clint Eastwood the entire movie is his name. And it's of course, the showdown with Mad Dog Tannen and Marty McFly where he steals the boilerplate off inventing the first bulletproof vest. Well, and it's, winning that thing. It's, it's it, awesome. It's an outrageous movie. And uh, so I, I'm going to score these now and I'm going to start with you, Brian. I think that's that's the thing. I would encourage people to enjoy the first Back to the Future movie to to watch this. And what you the point that you drove home here is that this oddly enough, this silly movie made you start to trust your opinion more than the opinion of others. And I think that was uh, actually something I could relate to with this only in retrospect that you worded it as the way the way you did is that, yeah, it's like 
sure critics may have panned this movie, but it's an awesome movie. And so you know what? You don't have to listen. You don't have to listen to us. You don't have to listen to anybody. Like what movies you like. So <laughs> I'm uh, I'm going to give you three points. That was pretty profound. And then to contradict everything I just said, um, <laughs> I I mean I I love the uh, the personal tales of skipping school, Mitch. I mean that just I. I think you skip school more than I did, which uh, is going to bring you up in my estimation as a person, as a human being, as a friend, as a comrade, as a colleague. Um, Thank you. But I think I'm also just so tired of hearing about Ferris Bueller's Day Off as a guy who's lived in (laughs) in Chicago forever. So I can only give you two points this round. I apologize sincerely, but not that sincerely. So did, did, did you notice how I, I spoke about the film as little as possible? Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it was. It, it saved. It, it it earned you one extra point. Uh, Thank you. So, but I think we, the only thing left for us to do is to move on to number one. And, and Mitch, as yeah. the elder statesman, the floor is yes. yours. Yeah. So this is my number one. Is a, a very very strange film, just like my number three. And uh, I went with the George Lucas classic, Howard the Duck. Um, (laughs) And if you didn't figure it out yet, listeners at home, the mystery is Principal Ed Rooney, actor named Jeffrey Jones, is also in this film. Um, The other uh, humans, Tim Robbins, uh, is in Howard the Duck as well. And the love interest of Howard the Duck in this film is none other than Leah Thompson. And in this film, she continues her confusing um, sexual movie journey, um, uh, (laughs) continuing on from the criminally overrated Back to the Future. Um, And uh, in this one, her and Howard uh, make it all the way. Uh, They make it quack, if you will. Um, And this movie is so strange because... Again, only in the 80s and only if George Lucas was like, hey, I've got an idea. And then they're like, what is it? And they're like, it's a duck who's in a duck world. And the duck world is just like the human world, but just like all it's all duck puns. And they're like, this is incredible, George. Let's green light this thing. Um, and that's what and it's it's just it's such an odd film. And well, it, it know, wasn't George Lucas's conception. Yeah, it was a comic book first. Oh, okay. All right. Well, he 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 found it and wanted to bring it to to life. Okay. Sorry, I didn't do all the research. Um, but you know, George Lucas, his his name attached to it got this movie made, right? Yeah. Um, and so Howard falls through the wormhole. Um, in a scene, you know, Leah Thompson looks through his wallet when he's asleep at her apartment, and he's got uh his his driver's license from Washington D.C. Um, he's got a picture of him and two hot female ducks on a beach. Martin. He's got his 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 mallard card credit card. He's got his blooming ducks card. You know, um, his his money is just his one dollar bills. It's just George Washington with a duck beak. Um, in the earlier part of the thing, you see someone's reading a play duck magazine. Um, like they just they just go for it here. Um, but how are the? It's just it was such a weird movie. And again, in the eighties, you know, they're not doing um, you know animation like visual effects here. So it's all like practical. So it's kind of cool. You have a little guy in a duck suit. Um, but of course, the ADR doesn't always match. It's a little off. Uh, the voice doesn't seem right to me either. Um, it, it, uh, the memory I have of seeing this part, I don't know if it was on film or TV or something. Uh, as a kid, I went back and found the scene. It wasn't nearly as uh, as um, naughty as my as as young Mitchell thought. But in the scene where he gets, he goes to the employment office to find a job, and he gets a job at a bathhouse. 
and uh, you know Howard gets thrown into a hot tub with two couples that are like about to have sex in this bathhouse, and it's very strange. And he's like the towel boy, um, <laughs> but like Howard what? understands like human sarcasm, and he has like the wit, the dry wit of like a you know a beaten down middle aged man. Um, he loves cigars. Um, again, he has sex with Leah Thompson. Very strange. This is um, you know what this movie is, Mitch. This is the absolute antithesis of Labyrinth, where in yes. Labyrinth all these strange elements came together so beautifully. Yeah. This this one has s- everything that came together was awful. And yes. Even George, George Lucas, who was riding high after, um, well, he had American Graffiti, and this movie was written by the same people he wrote American Graffiti with, which is an American mm-hmm. classic. Yep. And then he'd done the Star Wars trilogy and in the midst of his Indiana Jones run. Yep. So how could it fail? Yep. And it did. Oh, boy. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, it did. Um, and I think that, again, kind of going along with the Labyrinth thing of movies like this being so weird and just so strange and so bad, I think this kind of started the that ability for me to uh, take in this cinema that's like total crap, but like enjoying both. Because you guys know it's like. I, you know, I, I very much can appreciate the, 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 the quote unquote, like high art Oscar stuff that, you know, but then like, this is just so bad and I also enjoy this. So being able to, to, to enjoy the taste of the whole gamut, uh, essentially. Um, and I remember my brother and I discovering this, or maybe our dad showed it to us. I don't remember, but both of us just being so fascinated that there's a duck be, you know, operating as if they're a human in this world. Um, and uh, had you and, not watched Sesame Street, like what I mean, <laughs> this is this isn't that confusing of a concept. <laughs> but it, like it was, he was dirty though. You know, it was like he likes cigars. You know, you, you've um, not you've not met Oscar the Grouch. I- <laughs> oh come on, it's. Um, but and there's a fight scene early on when Leah Thompson. Um, again, the, 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 the target of sexual assault, again, referencing back to back to the future, the eighties, that was like the trope, Ooh, a smoky alley and all men are just like, they're gonna like women are just always need to be targeted. And it's just, gonna, uh, but turns out Howard the duck who's hiding in a barrel knows Kung Fu and beats the crap out of these guys. And, uh, Duh. there's, there's a line <laughs> he, he says, he said, no one messes with a guy who knows quack foo. And then he attacks. <laughs> yeah, he attacks the bad boys. And when he's fighting, he has an exclamation during the fight. He yells, suck eggs. Um, and so, yeah, there's just a bunch of weird. Just there's, dumb there are so many this. things wrong with that. Uh, yeah. Also, yeah. I've been I've been wondering. We've been doing this show for a while now. I've been wondering when we were getting to get to the Leah Thompson centric episode, and here it is. So, oh, yeah, we made it. We can cross that one off our list. Yeah, and you uh, know, this whole movie, Howard's in a in a in, in a midlife uh, quaxis or crisis, if you will. <laughs> you know, um, and he's just you know he's like it, it, Leah Thompson help helps get him out of his foul mood. Um, and oh, <laughs> that one almost went over my. Head. Yeah, yeah. Um, Good but uh, yeah, and so yeah, Howard the Duck. Um, well, you know, Mitch, I think you've just talked about Howard the Duck more than any other person has ever talked about Howard the Duck <laughs> in the history of people talking about Howard the Duck. Uh, yeah. And I salute you for it, but uh, I yeah. think we have to hear what Brian has to say about the most influential movie on his life from the year that his life began. Go right ahead. 
All right, 1990. There are a lot of movies I could have chosen for this number one spot. I could have chosen My Blue Heaven, the uh, Rick Moranis, uh, Steve Martin uh, vehicle. I could have chosen Flatliners, the Kiefer Sutherland, uh, where they just decided to stop their hearts for fun. There's Tom Cruise. That's a weird one. Yeah, (laughs) Days of Thunder I could have picked. Um, The Hunt for Red October, Misery, Kindergarten Cop, Total Recall, Dances with Wolves, Pretty Woman. There are a lot of Ernest Goes to Jail I could have picked, but I did not. (laughs) Um, But my number one, slightly camp, slightly drama, slightly fun, is the Jeff Daniels starring Arachnophobia. Uh, I freaking love this movie. And it has one of the best log lines of all time. A species of South American killer spiders hitches a lift to the U.S. in a coffin and starts to breed and kill. Oh, boy. So the plot of this movie, for those who haven't seen, Jeff Daniels moves from San Francisco to a small town because he is a a doctor. Uh, It's sort of general practice. His... The guy he's taking over decides not to practice. He was going to retire, give him all of his patience. That does not happen. So now he's trying to assimilate into this world. He's a city boy. It doesn't work. But the first 17 minutes of this movie is spent in South America explaining where the spiders come from. So we have hitched a ride. Uh, This is directed by legendary producer Frank Marshall. Um, It is produced by Kathleen Kennedy. Spielberg's attached. There's a lot of big names attached to this movie. And it's just really hilarious. I watched this entire opening again where we follow a doctor, um, an entomologist who goes to this weird region that's, again, it's 19 kind of 80s-ish. We're in 90 now, but of like undescript. This is either Africa or South America. There's no real country involved. And... Or they fog the trees to have butterflies and dead things fall because they're going to collect them. But the photographer who is on this mission is from this small town. He's completely fish out of water, whatever. He thinks he has a fever because he got bit by a tiny spider. But the bad spider hitched a ride in his backpack on his way back to camp. And it's crawling up his leg. And then he gets a giant bite in his thigh and he dies immediately. And then the Spider hitches a ride in the coffin as he gets sent back to the small town. And now Jeff Daniels, who is already under suspicion because he just lost a practice. All of a sudden, these people are dying in town and he has a theory. And then the doctor he was supposed to take over for dies mysteriously from a spider bite. <gasps> oh, no. Was it was it foul play? We don't know. But this all leads into John Goodman playing an exterminator in this movie. He's it's it's one of the first times I've ever saw John Goodman. It is hilarious. Um, he's kind of like um, when Peter Vankman first walks in, when you first see him in Ghostbusters looking at uh, Sigourney Weaver's apartment. He's got that little stick thing and he's going around. And he's playing cool, but he's just like got all these gadgets and stuff. And this farm is completely overtaken by these spiders that are super aggressive and chase you. And there's a lot of weird scenes where the spiders like come up through the sink. And it's just like a lot of things that just like resonate in my head. And I have this on this list because I probably think about this movie at least once a month. It is just it just has solidified itself. It's it's weird. And uh, what's great is there's a wine cellar in the basement of this house 
And one of the things at the end of the film is they find the egg sack that is producing all these spiders. Yeah, I was I was waiting for you to get to the egg sack, which is highlighted on the, the Wikipedia page here. Yes. So <laughs> apparently the egg sack is quite important. Correct. And Jeff Daniels has arachnophobia. So him going up against the spiders is a huge challenge at the end. And one of the ways he gets through this all is he's chasing the main queen spider, whatever it is, with a lighter and an aerosol can. And he's just <laughs> trying to chase the spider down. And it's just so weird and campy, yet it's fun. And I don't know. It's, there's so many weird things. It's a weird melding of different genres that it's like I can't even talk about it straight because my mind wants to go in all these different tangents of things that I like about it. So. I mean, Jeff Daniels is a leading man between this and I, I love him in uh, Purple Rose of Cairo are probably the only two movies where he's like truly the lead that I really, really like. Uh, you've not seen Gettysburg when he plays uh, Colonel Joshua Lawrence Chamberlain of the 20th Maine Regiment in the I- I'm sorry, I'm turning into my Civil War buff nerd thing. Let's let's get back to the, the <laughs> thing where he kills spiders. Sorry. Yeah, sorry, yeah. everybody. My yeah. bad. My bad. Anyway, it's Jaws with spiders in a small town farm. That's, uh, I mean, that's what you get. I mean, you get Spielberg attached this many years, 15 years after Jaws. That's what you're going to get. We're right. You were born in the era of Spielberg, like just yes. right in the sweet spot. Spielberg yeah. I mean, was in his eight Three years later, I'd be getting uh, a great ch- uh, childhood film, Schindler's List, and, then, uh, <laughs> Jura- and Jurassic Park. <laughs> That's what many people forget is you get Schindler's List and Jurassic Park in the same year. Are there any two films that could be more drastically different from the same equal, director? From the same director that are equally amazing and different. Uh, yes, uh, Mel Uh-oh. Brooks with uh, Blazing Saddles and Young Frankenstein. Those are very similar, though. They're both comedies. Uh, one was in color. One was in black and white. <laughs> okay. Thank you. Fair enough. Fair Wait, enough. But, I mean, the, both both the the Spielberg ones were were comedies too, right? <laughs> <laughs> All right, we have to have no? this sit down where Mitch oh, hasn't sorry. seen Schindler's List. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, on You're that... You're making uh, out during Schindler's well, List. I, I, I was going to say, the, I was going to mention another Jeff Daniels classic from 86 that, that was on my on my hot list but didn't make the, the top five. It was Something Wild uh, where he meets up with uh, Ray Liotta from your beloved Goodfellas film um, along with Melanie Griffith. Um, it's, it's going on my list. But also I wanted, and I know Nathan, you're, you're, you're going to be tallying here, right? You're going to do the point things. I've got I, the abacus out. I'm ready to go. Okay. I, I, I wanted to mention a quick movie that I discovered that uh, both, because Tara, I think also a, a theme that we've been speaking about today is uh, sources or origins of fear uh, as children, right? Um, and this would have, this would have accelerated my fear of rats and that's a film called Rat Boy that I discovered. Oh, it's about a, a teenage boy who's half boy, half rat that lives in the dump in New York City and he gets discovered. And after that, a succession of individuals try to tries to profit off him through like uh, freak shows and or like, you know, media appearances somehow. And it's a terrifying trailer. And the rat boy sounds like this. He's like, my name is Rat Boy. You know, you're just like, oh, God. And he's got a, a snout and whiskers. And the only famous person I, I knew in the trailer was Robert Townsend, the, the comedian. But at the very end of the trailer, the 80s trailer voice says, Rat Boy, it's hard to be different. And then it, boom, <laughs> over. 
So it looks so sad. And the last shot is the rat boy cowering next to a dumpster as the rain is just pelting down upon him. Um, so so rat this, boy goes uh, on my list as well. This very beautiful and descriptive uh, rendition of the movie Rat Boy is your <laughs> is your attempt to win more points. <laughs> I I you know just want. How, how long have you now. been playing this game? <laughs> I, he tries to sneak it at the end. I mean, less points away from it. Yeah, you know, in previous episodes at the end, you've snuck in with a Michael Jordan reference. For future reference, Michael Jordan's going to win you more points than Rat Boy. <laughs> sure. <laughs> well, I, 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 I should say that I have my top five list, and my top one list was actually a short film uh, made at 1986 All-Star Weekend. Um, which is actually my number one film of 1986. Um, it was it was put out by by Turner Sports. So um, that one starred Michael Jordan um, flying through the air. So. Uh, you missed you missed his uh, his uh, game against the uh, Boston Celtics where he scored a still record 63 points. Anyways, I'm getting Sorry. sidetracked, so we're gonna have to move yep. on and score this round. Uh, both of these movies suck, boys. They fucking <laughs> suck. Uh, so you get a uh, you're both getting the minimum one point, except that uh, I care. I, I'm pretty sure I've mentioned this at the top of every single episode I've hosted where anybody who mentions John Goodman gets a half a point and anybody who mentions Jeff Daniels gets half a point. So, Brian, you get the bonus two half points, which brings your score up to two. All right. So then uh, let me tally the scores real quick and I'll give you a, a topic to discuss right before that. And that is, of course, uh Parallel universes in accordance with uh, string theory and quantum th- physics. Go right ahead. Oh, man, that Boy. string theory vibrates a lot, doesn't it? Yeah. And, you know, uh, much like quantum physics, quantum computing is on the forefront of medical therapeutics in today's uh, market. And, and I've oh. got the scores ready to go. Whew. So at the end of the day, Mitch has scored 11 points. Brian has scored 11 points. Oh, my God. However, we are yet to open the envelope of mystery. Yay, more visual gags on the podcast. (laughs) So here we go. I will now open the hermetically sealed envelope of mystery. It's and a I white envelope on it. It has, has been written envelope of mystery. It, it, it's in a rectangular shape. It's made of paper. Okay. So I have two cards in this envelope. Uh, I can't believe I'm saying envelope. I hate people who say envelope. I always say yep. envelope, but anyways, envelope. in this, in this envelope, envelope of uh, mystery, I have the names of the leading actor of the number one grossing film of 1990, which was Ghost. And that name is Patrick, Patrick Swayze. Swayze. Nobody yeah, said it. this name. Nobody yep. said this name. So no points are deducted. Thank God. <laughs> And I have the name of the man who starred in the number one grossing film of 1986, which was, as you know, Top Gun, Tom Cruise. And Mitch, you said it at the top of the show. I I, I didn't say Tom Cruise. I said Thomas Mapother Cruise the third. I didn't say, you know, you you referenced the man. And then and then Brian, you mentioned his name about 10 minutes ago. Days of oh, Thunder. So you yes. both lose a point. So unfortunately, <laughs> today's game is a draw. God this has it. been this has been, unlike every other week, this has been a colossal waste of time. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's it. It's time for the 
fast five. That's all that's Woo! left to do. My top hey. five worst foods to sneak into a movie theater. Number five, popcorn. They already have that at the movie theater. It's what it's known for. Number four, potato chips. Too much air in the bag. It's going to take up too much room under your jacket, and any sudden movements could lead to a deafening and incriminating crunch. Number three, circus peanuts. What the hell are those things made of? Number two, individually wrapped packets of pickle relish. Very hard to open if your fingers are greasy and the nutritional value bill is questionable, and it will take at least 19 or 20 before you feel full. Number one, a buttery spread made with chopped, seasoned, and cooked shrimp served on toast points, beef or venison braised in burgundy and beef stock, flavored with carrots, onions, garlic, and garnished with pearl onions and mushrooms and bacon. Too risky for spillage. And that's this week's edition of Uber Cinco. (laughs) Born on December 31st, 1986, has been... Mitch Brinkman. And born on March 28th, 1990, has been... Brian Ernst. And born on July 10th, 1998, I've been Nathan Hennenfent. <laughs> and as Biz Bears always says, I'm not answering your question, but I'm held telling you how difficult the why question is. You have to know what it is you're permitted to understand and allow to be understood and known and what it is you're not. The more I ask why, the deeper a thing is, the more interesting it gets. For example, if we said that magnets attract like rubber bands, I would be cheating you because they're not connected by rubber bands. I'd soon be in trouble. And secondly, if you were curious enough, you'd ask me why rubber bands tend to pull back together again, and I would end up explaining that in terms of electrical forces, which are the very things that I'm trying to use the uh, rubber bands to explain. So I'm not going to be able to give you an answer to why magnets attract to each other, except to tell you that they do. If I were a student, I could go further. I could tell you that the magnetic forces are related to the electrical forces very intimately, that the relationship between the gravity forces and electrical forces remains unknown, and so on, but I really can't do a good job, any job, of explaining magnetic forces in terms of something else you're more familiar with because I don't understand it in terms of anything else that you are more familiar with. Oh, wait, that wasn't Biz Bear. That's Nobel Laureate Dr. Richard Feynman. I'm always getting them confused. Avita Zane and adios. <laughs> You've just listened to Uber Cinco, a production of UBK Studios. Subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your fine podcasts from. If you like what you hear and want to support the show, please visit our Patreon site at patreon.com slash UBK Studios. Every little bit helps us keep the lights on and the bill collectors at bay. Keep tabs on us on all the social media at UBK Studios, and most importantly, subscribe to our YouTube channel so you can see that we really are just a bunch of good Midwestern boys. (laughs) 